This is Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. Squares and streets. That is Boston Mayor Michelle Wu's plan to simplify 4,000 pages of zoning rules around what can be built and where. Now, some say that'll cut red tape, lead to more and cheaper housing. Others say it kills neighborhood self-determination. So which is it? And what can other cities and towns learn as the whole state struggles with housing? Well, here in the studio, Catherine Carlock, real estate and development reporter for the Boston Globe, and Mark Drazen, executive director of the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. Catherine, welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Same to you, Mark. Drazen. Thank you, Tiziana. Great to have you here. So I want to understand uh, sort of what we're dealing with first. And to do that, we got to go back and look at this nearly 4,000-page Boston zoning code. Why why do people hate it so much, and what role do they say that it plays? <laughs> you can look at it if you want to. I'm not going to. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. The, the, the funny thing about the zoning code is that It's 4,000 pages of rules that you have to follow. And then in almost every case, once you follow those rules, you get to a point in the process where you say, well, I don't need that anymore. I'm going to make my own zoning. I'm going to apply for a zoning variance. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go for some sort of special something. So not only is it long and very dense, it is also by and large not something that actually works practically for determining what is built where. So Mark Drazen, before we get into the reforms, that is the other thing, right? Long and very dense, but also everything is an exception to it. Yes. It's it's a completely different zoning system than we have in all of the other communities in Massachusetts. In the rest of Massachusetts, you abide by the zoning almost all the time, Sometimes you have to go in for a special permit to actually be able to do the development, but the development that you do is, generally speaking, consistent with the zoning. In Boston, there's very detailed zoning, but almost everything is done by a variance. And that's kind of a silly way to do it, but that's the way it's always been done in Massachusetts, and developers and residents alike are kind of used to that system, even though they all love to hate it. All right. And Catherine Carlock, the reason for everyone to be paying attention to this is because Really, when we look at the housing crisis, uh, and uh, okay, fine, that might be editorializing, the shortages of housing and affordable housing that we know we're facing across the state, zoning is, across the state, one of the boogeymen in this whole thing. So how one city or town, especially the capital, goes could really be lessons or blueprints or cautionary tale, depending for other cities and towns. Yes. It, uh, zoning, even though it's 4,000 pages and may make your eyes glaze over and it's super jargony, it is one of the most, if not the most, critical tools in addressing how Boston is going to address its housing crisis. Because for a long time, neighborhoods and others have been va- have been able to use zoning both as a way to say, well, this is how exactly I want my neighborhood to look, but also that's where developers can come in and say, well, even if you've said that this is how you want your neighborhood to look, we don't really have to pay attention to that because we're going to go for a variance. There's, of course, always lots of discussion and community engagement, but there's really at its core a real disconnect between neighborhoods and developers of how we are going to address this housing crisis while also adhering to some semblance of 
community needs. And so that's where squares and streets are coming in. Okay, so there's the situation and there's the stakes as we talk with Catherine Carlock and Mark Drazen now about this squares and streets approach that Boston Mayor Michelle Wu wants to take. And we had Jesse Kansen Beninov, who's the executive director of the nonprofit Abundant Housing Massachusetts on the show last week. Um, the simplification of the rules that Wu envisions in squares and streets, he says he welcomes it. Last year, the, the BPDA, the Boston Planning Development Agency, released a report that compared our zoning code to other cities of similar size across the country, found that our uh, zoning code was a lot more complex, was a lot longer, added a lot more cost and time to building more affordable and market rate housing and drove up the cost of building housing in the city. So now Mayor Wu wants to say, I'm going to get this down to basically Basically, a set of, I think right now it's five options, Mark Dres, and you almost think of them like, you know, <laughs> I keep thinking back because of my generation to Granimals, those clothes that you could buy <laughs> where, you know, every shirt had a tag on it and every pair of pants had a tag on it and you would match tags and you would know those clothes would go together, right? So sort of four or five of these approaches... Uh, and you pick one. Yes, build, building an apartment building will be no more difficult than picking your clothing for the, <laughs> for the morning, I suppose. Um, I, I think it's important to remember that getting the zoning code simpler is a valuable and good thing to do, but it doesn't automatically in and of itself mean we build more housing. I mean, we have this terribly complicated and time-consuming zoning code and variance process that we're working with now, but Boston has built a huge amount of housing in recent years under several administrations, uh, far more than any other community in Massachusetts, even if you adjust for size. Um, in making it simpler, ideally you will enable developments to get going sooner and a little bit cheaper because time is money, and if it takes you one year to get in the ground, that's less expensive than taking you two years to get in the ground. But we also have to watch out for the process by which the zoning is going to be re revised. If it's revised in a way that is more restrictive of housing development, then that could be a problem. And I know the Wu administration is not aiming for that, but, you know, remember, we're going to have a lot of people uh, commenting and participating in this process. Some of them are going to be good supporters of housing, and some of them are going to be opposed. And one of the things, Mark, I, I want to really emphasize something you just touched on, which is the the element of making this this whole process being allowing projects to be done sooner. One of the things um, my colleague Tim Logan and I had uh, just worked on um, pretty extensively for uh, the final version of the Globe Spotlight team's uh, housing crisis uh, series was just how expensive is it to build these projects? And it, we found it costs between $500,000 and $600,000 per unit, just per unit, to build a single unit of housing. And we're talking to developers, what's going into that? Because that eventually is baked into the rent at the end of the day. And so if, if one of the big things that developers kept telling us over and over again was, we don't have a clear idea of how long it's going to take to permit a housing project. And if we don't have a if we don't have a clear idea, then that's maybe one place where we can come in and make the project timeline a little bit shorter, get it into the ground faster. Which means cheaper. Which means cheaper. Okay. Ed, Ed, 
in most cases, yes. So, so roughly, here's how, roughly, right, here's how this thing is going to work, as I understand it. Uh, the city predetermines a set of options. Your zoning in this square could look like this or it could look like this, a handful of them. Uh, the options come in, uh, the city gets, uh, and those are predetermined by the Boston Planning Development Authority. Uh, the city comes into a uh, community, uh, neighborhood, they give feedback. Uh, the city goes back and eventually says, okay, in this neighborhood, now the zoning is going to look like this. It might be one of those five uh, or six or however many were put on the table. It might be something else, but it'll be simple and uh, straightforward. And the concern, the, the concern on the one hand is, uh, uh, will it not give enough neighborhood voice? The concern on the other hand, will it give neighborhood voices a chance to shut down speed of housing? Do well, I roughly have that right? For, for yeah, the outside person who's listening to this conversation, Mark Drazen, do I basically have that right? You basically have it right. There is one extra step in the city of Boston. It not only needs to be approved by the BPDA board, it also needs to be approved by the separate zoning commission that we have in the city of Boston, which yeah. nobody else has. The final, this is what yours would work, how right. yours would work. Exactly. Okay. Now, I do think that you know one of the issues is when you say neighborhood voice. The issue in most of our neighborhoods, Tiziana, is that there are many differing neighborhood voices. Uh, every single neighborhood has voices in favor of more density, mm -hmm. you know, like Jesse's voice that we heard earlier. Every single neighborhood has voices against density. Every single neighborhood has voices that are mainly focused on another critical element of the Squares and Streets program, which is to help support neighborhood business districts. We should remember okay. this is not entirely about zoning. It's also about building stronger business districts uh, with jobs and products and commerce. Um, and uh, I think the challenge will be in balancing these voices in a way that is still supportive of housing development and particularly affordable housing development. So one of the things that we did in preparation for this conversation is you reach out to some you know, community organizations. One organization that our producer Rob Lane spoke to was uh, the Neighborhood Association of the Back Bay, which is a very powerful neighborhood or organization. Uh, Mark Retter uh, is the chair there. Uh, excuse me, Martin Redder is the chair there, um, resents what he considers to be a dismissal of the neighborhood group's role in shaping the future of the city already, right? Maybe all of this isn't necessary. Here is Martin. Residents have a much longer-term perspective, uh, maybe because they look back and they think about their family history, uh, and maybe also because they're looking forward and they're thinking about how, you know, I'd like to be able to you know, build uh, a long-term career and and have my family flourish here for, you know, a f for a few decades. And he says the voices are already, you know, really out there. These efforts and these analyses and these ideas from residents, they're available essentially at no cost to the city in contrast to paying expensive consultants uh, to do things that don't seem to be terribly Productive. So, Catherine Carlock uh, of the Boston Globe, clearly a specific perspective, uh, wary of this approach. Um, is that a, re a representative voice of what we're hearing in response to this approach? It is not just the Neighborhood Association of the Back Bay. It is, I think it's fair to say that that is a, a representative perspective, at least of the neighborhood associations that I have talked with since this Squares and Streets announcement. You'll know there are a lot of neighborhood associations, and all of them have very 
very passionate perspectives about the developments of their communities. They're also a big factor in just kind of how the development review process works in the city of Boston. The mayor is and and the the team of the planning advisory council are, are actually before I this morning before I came here this morning I was at uh, that meeting at the Eagle Room in City Hall the, on the fifth floor where each of those um, the department chiefs that have planning involved in their um, in their operations in some way were saying how can we look at a community engagement process that is not just talking to one specific segment of our population how can we talk how can we make sure that we're not just reaching older white homeowners, because by and large, that is the overwhelming voice that's represented either in a lot of times in neighborhood associations or in kind of squeaky wheel gets the grease type thing. And and but even last week, I also spoke with a, a number of neighborhood representatives from Roxbury who were saying, we feel Roxbury has often been left out of the planning conversation. We bear a, a larger share of affordable housing than most other neighborhoods in the city of Boston. And we don't know how this process is rolling out. We don't know what is being defined as a square or a street. We don't know how this is going to impact our community. And we feel like we haven't been connected with on this. So they have some real questions about how is this going to change the future of our neighborhood when we've already felt so left behind by the city of Boston? And of course, Roxbury being 54% income restricted housing now. Um, so this presents some really interesting challenges, Mark Drazen. And, and I'll remind listeners, we are talking about Boston Mayor Michelle Wu's Squares and Streets Initiative, which is a push to simplify what is essentially a 4,000-page zoning code, but with an eye towards speeding up and simplifying development of housing um, to solve a housing crunch in the city. Um, on the one hand, you have a conventional wisdom that says um, talking to communities and neighborhoods increases uh, the chance that those who are less in power have more voice. On the other hand, you have uh, a, a repeated sense that when neighborhoods and communities, when it comes to zoning, speak up, they tend to stop development. Uh, whether you look at what's happening in Milton right now, where they've moved to have a vote to go against um, compliance with the MBTA Communities Act there after there was a, a government process to create zoning to comply with the MBTA Communities Act, and that's just one example, or a number of others. So you've got all these kinds of clashes. It seems pretty gnarly, and yet something's going to have to work, Mark Drazen. Well, yes. At the end of the day, the mayor and her key advisors have to decide what they're going to put forward as a zoning code for the city of Boston or for those individual communities. And they'll do so, and it will involve some political trade-offs. It will involve listening to the neighborhood groups some of the time and probably not listening to the neighborhood groups at other times because they have a knowledge of citywide or regional needs. Look, Neighborhood groups have a tremendous amount to bring to this process. Uh, they have an interest. They have a long-term commitment. They have a detailed knowledge of the community. Uh, but they, it should also be remembered that a neighborhood-by-neighborhood neighborhood approach, whether it's in the city of Boston or in the municipalities outside of the city of Boston, has been the primary process for exclusion hmm. uh, in our region's history. Uh, most people... Well, I won't even say most people, but many people get involved 
in local land use debates principally because they would like things to remain the same. And we've tried keeping things the same for decades now, and we haven't built enough housing in this region. And as a result, I and lots of other employers are losing staff to regions where people actually can afford to buy or rent a home. Uh, So it's always the responsibility of the mayor, just like it's the responsibility of the governor and other elected officials to balance these very local views, which are wise and legitimate in certain circumstances, with regional and statewide needs. And I think that's what the mayor is going to do. So, Catherine, that makes me think of the article that you wrote that I just read this morning where you've got the Epiphany School, a middle school, actually pushing back on an all-affordable development. I mean, when you... Because it doesn't like it. (laughs) I spoke with uh, Reverend John Finley. He uh, is uh, the leader at the Epiphany School. Um, the, the, The city gets sued... A lot, you know the the uh, the, but frequently it is the uh, the zoning board of appeal that's getting sued because there are projects that have applied for a zoning variance. This project is not it's it's separate from squares and streets in that rollout, but it is similar to the type of project that would be allowed under much of the squares and streets rezoning possibilities, and we've seen that. Epiphany School, it's an independent school immediately off the Shawmut T Station in Dorchester. They have a very uh, um, single family, tree, you know, it's a beautiful neighborhood, old Victorian homes, you know, the densely tree lined, um, who have not had a lot of apartment development at all and um, have seen a lot, a lot of pushback. And there's, you know, the typical complaints about construction noise, not that that's not to diminish that because I know how loud and annoying it can be, but it's just you have a lot of people willing to go really far to say no. Kind of the same example of what we were just hearing. So a lot to watch here. We'll talk about this more, yes? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Catherine Carlock is with the Boston Globe. Mark Drazen is with the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. This was helpful. Thanks to both of you for talking streets and squares with us, squares and streets with us. (laughs) Thank Thank you. Thank you.